Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hello everyone and welcome to the VLGA Connect Governance Update for Friday the 8th of July. And a big thank you to our sponsors Hunt and Hunt Lawyers who bring you the program each week as part of VLGA Connect. Steve Cooper, you're looking a little bit chilly there. Well, I was about to say you could have said a chilly Friday the 8th of July, Chris. Good morning. Very true. Good morning to you. <laughs> So as for those who are watching on YouTube, uh, this is our nod, I think, to it's been a particularly cold winter's week, Steve. Uh, <laughs> we've been building up to um, the winter wear kind of all week, Chris. So, um, yeah, tell me, um, what's the story behind um, uh, that headwear of yours? Because it's a bit colourful. <laughs> it is colourful, isn't it? Uh, I don't think there's really a story. This is, uh, this is my go-to when it's really cold and I need to walk the dogs of a morning and it covers my ears. I can tuck my little headphones in here, little wireless headphones, and they sit there nice and snug. And uh, yeah, we brave the elements, but no other story than than that, Steve. What about yours? Mine, uh, mine's actually a Carrie's beanie, which I like the idea that it's a good cause. And I also, I don't particularly like a pom pom, Chris. So no. um, it fits <laughs> the bill. Um, but can I make a little diversion? What's wrong, talking? What's wrong with pom poms? Oh no, I think that's just a matter of personal taste. It just, um, I prefer a non pom pom beanie. Um, can I just give a quick nod? Speaking of. Um, carries beanies and brain cancer and so on. My good mate, Cass Bennett, um, who knows uh, sadly more than she should about brain cancer, walked 150 kilometres last week for the Mark Hughes Foundation. Fabulous effort. Yes. And Cass, if you are listening and want to put your um, details of the fundraiser in the chat, there's some pretty generous people in local government because I know you've already raised $5,000. So um, good one to think about, Chris. Excellent. All right. No, that's a nice plug. So can we dispense with... Oh, the... yes, please. Yeah, okay. Very good. Oh, no, 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 put it back on. Put it, put it back on. No. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Now, what's happening in the world of uh, government this week? Well, of course, as we, as we record, two really big developments coming out of London. Steve, I'm sure you're following the Boris Johnson saga with great interest. Oh, if you don't mind, Chris. And we, for those that were listening during the summer series where we kind of um, gallivant around the world a bit more, we were kind of wondering back in January how long Boris would last. And his yeah. staying power has just been extraordinary. Um, it has. It really took um, the appointment of someone who'd behaved uh, rather inappropriately to an office and then a, um, a barefaced lie about what he knew about it uh, to be the tipping point where I think 59 ministers or parliamentary secretaries um, in the last few days have declared a lack of confidence in him. Uh, yeah, lots of resignations. I noticed in the reporting this morning they've stopped bothering with the count. They've just said scores of, uh, which is which is a bit safer because the number the numbers seem to be changing by the hour. Yeah, Chris, I've been amusing myself too by you know the um, the prime minister meets has a weekly audience with the queen, and as you would know in Westminster system, the head of state appoints the Prime Minister who is the person who has the confidence of the House. And I'm mm. 
just imagined Her Majesty each week saying, Mr. Johnson, are you sure you have the confidence of the House? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a shame they've announced that the Crown won't be going on beyond its next season, I think, uh, because there's plenty of <laughs> there's plenty, plenty of material for future seasons <laughs> there might, to come. With. There might be a hasty rethink going on. But, um, Chris, did you also get... Um, a view of what's going on in terms of the uh, interviews and demonstrations outside of um, of the house of the Parliament House in uh, in London. No, tell me about that. I know there's been protests, haven't there? And they've they've been celebrating since the news broke overnight. <laughs> if you don't mind, there's a guy called Steve Bray who has been um, protesting Brexit since um, 2016, and um, Apparently, he had his speakers confiscated by the police and crowdfunded to get a new set of speakers. Um, Hugh Grant, um, the actor who's no fan of the Murdoch press, has tweeted, and no fan of Brexit either, I think, has tweeted Steve Bray and said, would you be able to um, broadcast the theme from Benny Hill, which you would know better as a... <laughs> Yakety yeah, yeah, sax, yeah. Um, and Steve Bray has obliged. So if you look at a succession of Conservative... Um, members being interviewed and listen closely, you've got the sound of the Benny Hill theme going in the background. Well, I think there are a couple of things. Firstly, we need to make sure that we keep the basic functions of government going. Uh, that's really important. There are, for example, uh, no ministers in DfE at the moment. That needs to be sorted out. Uh, secondly, I think we need to try and select a new leader as quickly as we reasonably can. <laughs> kind of says it all, really. That's gold. That's gold. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that. And someone retweeted this morning. Sorry, folks, we'll get on the local government in a minute. Um, uh, an old interview with Boris Johnson asking how he how he spends his spare time. Uh, so he's going to have more time now to do some stupid thing he does with cardboard boxes to make buses and paint people in it. Did you ever see that? I saw that interview some months ago, Chris. But everything old's new again. Yeah, I had the sense he was making it up as he went along. Anyway, that's uh, that's the Boris Johnson saga. While we're in London, uh, curious or coincidence... Uh, Nick Curious, Nick Curios, I should say, uh, has, has gone through to the Grand Slam final at Wimbledon, will possibly be playing Novak Djokovic. So here comes Australia versus Novak once again. Curious? curious. <laughs> oh, who knows, Chris? And, um, and Nick Curious has made an art form of wearing baseball caps in the media centre. I'm just wondering, curious or coincidence? Ah, I've seen a picture of you in the Wimbledon media centre wearing a baseball cap. Well, we like to be trendsetters, Chris. Let's keep going. <laughs> Not only in that photo, you're you're wearing a, a Cheers t-shirt. I might have gone to Wimbledon via, via Boston, Chris. Um, but let me just tell you one thing about the Cheers bar. Nobody knows your name. Um, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Uh, can I just point out that uh, Nick Kyrgios could well be playing Cameron Norrie in the Wimbledon final, so that would make it an Australia versus England um, challenge, which is you know one for the ages, possibly. I'll tell you what, that doesn't happen very often in a final, Chris. No, very, very true. Oh. All right, so now let's move on to some local government news of the week. And I know you took some time out of your weekend to head off to Moreland on Sunday, Steve, for a very momentous occasion where the council chose Merrybeck as its potential new name and it kicked off their uh, NAIDOC week celebrations. It did. They had um, a, a community event and a council meeting at the new 
um, Glenroy Community Hub, which is a fabulous building. Uh, looks like it was an old school, Chris. And um, so start off with congratulations on that building. Um, the event was terrific. Um, Uncle Tony Garvey and Uncle Bill Nicholson did a welcome to country on behalf of the Wurundjeri. Um, there was a, you know, a really good crowd on a Sunday morning in attendance. Some stayed downstairs at the community event. Some of us tragics went upstairs for the council meeting. Um, and we should actually give props to um, chairs who run good meetings. Uh, the Mayor, Mark Riley, was absent due to illness and uh, former VLGA President Lambros Tapanos, bracket councillor, um, chaired the meeting and did a terrific job. So with um, three councils dialing in remotely and uh, the remainder of the council in attendance. Okay, so, uh, and there's the new rules that allow councillors to participate virtually um, being put to good effect. Absolutely, and um, as a side issue, Chris, and we won't stay there, but a lot of councils are looking at their governance rules at the moment because the sort of demise of the omnibus regulations and uh, the change to the Act means that uh, some elements that were covered uh, now need to be picked up in the, in the governance rules. So there's a lot of that review kind of work going on at the moment. And Steve, am I right in thinking it wasn't a unanimous vote to go with the name of Mary Beck? No, that's quite right, Chris. So uh, the five councillors who were in attendance uh, voted for the name change. The three councillors who were abs who were dialing in, including uh, Councillor Yildiz from his car, which is just a sign of things to come, I suppose, mm. um, voted um, against the name change. And I mean, I don't want to verbal them. Um, necessarily, but my take on um, on the reasons for those councillors voting against was that they um, weren't satisfied with the consultation, which had seen um, 6,000 people voting um, because there was no option for um, no change of name. Um, that would have been problematic. And we'll come back to um, the significance of council decisions once made because the councillor had already decided that it would take steps to change the name. So that element of do we change the name was never on the table and it would have been quite divisive kind of a yes. um, question to ask in my humble opinion. Yeah, okay. So uh, just to be clear, the, th the three that voted against were the three that weren't physically present at the event. That's it. Mm. That's it. Okay. Just an interesting observation. Uh, so uh, Mary Beck now is expected to become the name. In terms of the process, it goes off to the local government minister. And if the minister, now Melissa Horne, supports that, I've seen no indication that she wouldn't. Certainly the previous minister uh, had indicated support. That would then need to go to governor and council to be formally ratified. That's it. And I would have thought state government has uh, writ large and loud that it supports treaty and um processes in support of treaty i you cannot imagine um the government making a different decision or yeah. the minister making a different decision um side note steve i did note someone i think it was a councillor at darabin tweeting that this would make 12 councils in victoria with indigenous names um i struggled to find the 12 and i wonder whether there's a list somewhere have you put your mind to that no, but can we come back to that next week, Chris? Because I reckon um, I think we can we can make some progress towards that. Yeah, that would that would be. I'm good. thinking of your Ganawaras, your Murrindindis. Ah, oh, there you go. There's there's at least one that I hadn't thought of. Yeah, okay. Let's look at the list. Borbor. Ah, yeah, okay. And there's some names on there that may be indigenous in origin that don't necessarily appear indigenous. I'm tipping no, Chris. 
Yeah. White horse. Oh, Marunda might be. I don't know the origin of, of Marunda. You know what I mean? So yeah, what I mean. yeah, that yeah. might be. I'm tipping White Horse and Bayside Hunt. No, no. I don't think Hobson's Bay or Port. I'm pretty sure Hobson's Bay is not. No, no. Um, All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's might, come back to the list next week. Yeah, we might have started something there, or people might help us yeah. uh, in uh, in the chat or in the feedback. I did have uh, a little bit of feedback uh, this week about uh, a story that's happening interstate that I want to come to shortly. Before we move into state, uh, a couple of other local issues. Uh, we spoke last week about Horsham to get a monitor. Um, the announcement came out... I forget the timing of this, but I don't think we knew when we did our last program, did we? No. That was very gentle the way you did that. I think congratulations to Minister Horn and, in fact, former Minister Lean because he has obviously provided an induction about the timing of ministerial announcements. Yes, yes. That was all about... And they come after after mid-morning on a Friday. After we record. So, um, yeah, congratulations, Minister Horn. Thanks for that. So um, if they're true to form, Steve, uh, we'll have an announcement later today on who the new monitor is going to be at Horsham. Um, we've also got some speculation that, uh, that there might be a monitor for Wyndham. Now, the reason I say that is there's been some press coverage of uh, a letter that's gone from two councillors at Wyndham to the minister that the ABC's reported on. In relation to an internal matter... Um, probably all I want to say on that, unless you want to go a little bit further, Steve, but also in that letter they've asked apparently for the Minister to consider appointing a municipal monitor at Wyndham. So watch that space. Yeah, I understand, Chris, and this is in the public domain that the report is around comments by a councillor uh, towards staff, both in briefings and council meetings, which sort of points to a a risk more broadly without um, addressing that one in particular. I thought a bit disappointing, Chris. One of the issues about the release of um, that sort of information in advance of the matter being finalised is that when someone has an allegation against them, um, they are entitled to some due process. Hmm. And um, uh, if you look at which way this goes, the due process can only be compromised by the public release and commentary around a report. Um, I noticed the language too in that ABC report. The minister had said uh, she was seeking urgent advice on the matter. I know you've got a bit of a continuum of ministerial comment, uh, Steve. Where does that sit on the seriousness? Uh, Hang on, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nine or ten. I think towards the back end. Let me just run through quickly. Yeah, please, please. I think that would be instructive. I think the most flippant sort of... um, a comment by a minister would, but I haven't seen those reports and just move on. I want right. to come back to that. Um, a minister might say, yes, I've heard about that. Okay. Yes. I think it's a bit more serious if the minister says, yes, the department is aware of that. Oh, yes. The minister might say, I've asked the department for advice. Oh, just advice at this point? Just advice. Because the next one would be, yes, I'm quite concerned and I've asked the department for advice. Oh, okay. We're not into urgent advice yet. Uh, we look out for urgent. If, if we ask for urgent advice, that's getting serious. Yeah. Um, the next one might be a surprise. It's a revisiting. Yes. Oh, no, I haven't seen those reports. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about how unusual it was, and I'm sorry for those who aren't keen on football, when Tom Stewart um, uh, cleaned up uh, down Prestia a couple of weeks ago, um, almost immediately his teammates said, 
um, that he was really regretful of what he has done. The normal thing when, you know, Knuckles McGillicuddy cleans up another player and the media do the interviews either on the ground or in the rooms after, no one saw it. <laughs> Didn't see it. It's like the shooting of Billy Longley. No one saw it, even though there were 100 people there. Um, so you haven't seen Sorry, those. I'm stuck, on, I'm stuck on Knuckles McGillicuddy. And what was it? The shooting of Billy Longley. <laughs> I, I think Billy Longley, a painter and docker, was... Um, was shot in the Druids Hotel in South Melbourne back in the 60s, and there were about 100 people in the bar, but no one saw it. <laughs> okay, as you were. <laughs> yeah. um, I think the next one is uh, where, where we're at. I'll appoint a monitor. <laughs> right, yes. Which is An independent one, monitor, no less. Which is, uh, and that's only the second highest one. The more serious one is, I understand that, insert the name of Integrity Agency, um, is investigating this oh, matter. Yes. And it yeah. would not be appropriate to comment any further at this time. No, no, we don't go there. <laughs> All right. Is that documented somewhere, Steve? That's a that's a very handy list for interpretation. Uh, on my very <laughs> scrappy notepad, which I um, put together at about <laughs> five minutes before we recorded, Chris, as if that's not obvious. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm not proposing that we put that one online, but there is. I have, I have created a list, given, given it's getting so long, and people are forgetting who's the monitor where. I've created a list of the municipal monitor appointments and whacked it on the local government news roundup website. Steve, that's, just for that's, reference, that's an important thing. And Chris, on a, on a more serious note, though, I, I think language and nuance in language does matter in government. So we can we can sort of make a joke about it, but equally, um, people should read the tea leaves by the way that these things are described. You always got to make it serious in the end, don't you? I know that's yeah. our thing. Speaking of lists, uh, I have done an update to the uh, Vic Council CEO appointment watch list on the local government news roundup website this week because has, has there been more action, Chris? There has been more action. Another development: uh, Martin Cutter, the CEO at Greater Geelong for the past four years, has announced that he's stepping down in September. That it's time to pursue some personal pursuits, which I think is um, terrific for Martin. Um, and some some terrific tributes coming into uh, the influence he's had on that organisation over the past four years. Highly respected, Martin Cutter. After a storied career at uh, Melbourne City Council at the executive level as well, I think 13 years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to Martin and good luck to Greater Geelong on, um, on uh, recruiting, I'll say, a replacement. Yes. Uh, so there's now, uh, I think as of this morning, there's six... Uh, positions at CEO level to be determined uh, at least be between now and the end of the year. And there's been 36 developments, whether that's reappointments, departures, etc., in this term of council. I look forward to the day, Chris, when you can report that there are no vacancies at the moment. But let's... Yeah. Would be nice. Live in hope. Yeah. Uh, and at the elected level, a countback was conducted at Greater Shepparton this week to fill the vacancy created by the resignation of Rob Priestley uh, about a month ago now, a little over a month ago. Uh, and it's a, it's a former councillor and mayor, in fact, uh, returning to the fold in Dinny Adam up at Greater Shepparton. Oh, curious or coincidence, Chris. Back to that. Congratulations to, uh, yeah, former Deputy Mayor and Mayor Councillor Dinny Adam. And, um, yeah, good luck with... Uh, for him and Shepparton for the remainder of that term. And if I'm not mistaken, Steve, Denny was the mayor at the time that the whole idea of the regional Commonwealth Games model was uh, commenced and pro and uh, promulgated out of Greater Shepparton back, uh, that'd be about 2016, I guess. I would say so. I think you're right there, Chris. And just on a quick aside with Shepparton, that um, 
former Mayor Kim O'Keefe appears in Ian, our friend Ian McCormick's book, which uh, has hit the presses. So anyone following Ian on uh, on social media and will certainly uh, certainly tag, um, yeah, the release of Ian's book around uh, leadership, particularly for mayors. Yes, the DNA of great leaders. It's getting some good coverage through the social channels. Absolutely. Okay, I think that's all from around Victoria that we wanted to talk about on today's show, unless you've got something else, Steve. But a couple of things from interstate. Now, we've been following the story out of Redland City Council in Queensland, where the mayor was involved in a drink driving incident, has been charged over that incident now, Steve, with being, I think, three times over the legal limit. Um, allegedly 0.177, Chris. And I think probably we'd, we'd classify this as addendum from last week's night. Mm really wanted to make um, my comments clear, not that there's been any commentary about it, but um, at the time I said um, we shouldn't overreact to this. I still think that from a governance point of view, that's not to diminish the seriousness of any drink driving matter. Um, I think there's been some commentary this week that um, you know, Mayor Williams will um, you know, be required to go through the justice system as is appropriate. Um, Anyone in that situation, I would say, you know, needs and deserves support. There is a mental health issue associated um, with drink driving, and I hope the mayor is receiving that support. Mm. Um, I think the commentary is more around why is local government different to any other organisation? It should be able to be dealt with within the, I guess, the structures that we've got. And I know you'd receive some commentary around um, perhaps some inconsistency in the commentary. Well, I did. Um, I had uh, I had some um, some communication suggesting or comparing, I guess, the way this incident's been dealt with in the media, particularly um, compared to when the Tim Smith incident happened in Victoria. Was that this year or last year? Mm-hmm. Um, going, going back a few months, anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought it made, uh, this, this was uh, a regional mayor who made the uh, the comment to me, and, and I thought they made some really good points about uh, perhaps a differing standard. The suggestion was a female mayor, a, a male MP, and some different standards being applied to the way it's been reported. It's a bit difficult to line up two different states, two different political environments. Um, obviously, Tim Smith's a liberal. Um, Karen Williams, I understand, has been associated with the LNP for some years, although they are distancing themselves from her at the moment. You had a case with Karen Williams where the Premier and the Federal Opposition Leader and fellow councillors that all came out publicly and asked her to stand aside, which she's now done uh, once being charged. I'm not sure whether there was that same level of uh, outcry with Tim Smith or was I just a bit um, blind to it? Yeah, I think, and I'm not familiar enough with the issue, Chris, but I would be looking for the motivation of the call. If the call is stand aside, concentrate on your well-being and the things that you need to do for you, um, which might be detracting from your council duties, well, maybe that's a comment in good spirit and in good faith. If it is stand aside for the purpose of obtaining a political scalp, well, I don't know, get in the bin. Yeah. And I think that's the bit that makes it a bit difficult to line up, the political motivations that are at play behind this. But if there is a double standard, that's not acceptable either. Um, Karen Williams has stood aside. Uh, Julie Talty is now the acting mayor. She's the deputy at uh, Redland. Um, The local government minister there, Stephen Miles, who's also the deputy premier, has publicly stated that he's asked for advice on his options about whether... 
the mayor should actually be removed from office or other action while this matter is going on. And the, and the local peak body up there has come out pretty strongly saying that would set a dangerous precedent. Let the court process mm. run and, uh, and see what comes out of it. Yeah, and again, we'll bring it back to Victoria. That's um, the process we would have here is that if the inspectorate believed that, uh, I guess, the reputation of the sector and the council was compromised by some pending charges, that they would go through a process to be cut. Um, and they've certainly done some work at the Supreme Court level um, to clarify that. Otherwise, the threshold for a councillor being ineligible to continue as a councillor in regard to being convicted of an offence. I think it's where the penalty's two years or more mm. um, is quite clear. I would hope that um, the Minister in Queensland doesn't take too long getting that advice because I would have presumed it's relatively simple. Okay, and the Minister in Western Australia has been busy again. Uh, Steve, we often comment on John Kerry. He's quite uh, active on, on LinkedIn and the socials. Uh, a major package of reforms for the local government sector in Western Australia have been announced this week. There's a few things in there that we already have in place in Victoria. There's some other things that are a little bit interesting and slightly different. Have you had a chance to look? I'm reminded of a former... Um boss of mine who used to say that plagiarism saves time. And um, in terms, um, substantially, um, a lot of the proposed reforms are very similar um, to what's occurring in Victoria. Um, in terms of the, you know, the penalties, the suspensions for breaches of the Act, um, the, the conduct of live meetings with mandatory recording and live streaming, um, clearer rules around confidential uh, meetings, you know, all of those things we're used, for, used to. Some interesting yeah. um, separation from the political process around monitors, Chris. Yes. So uh, under the reforms, a chief inspector of local government would be established and that inspector would also then have the responsibility of appointing a panel of independent municipal monitors that would be used to go in and proactively fix problems. Much like what's been suggested in the culture review here in Victoria, or, mm. although I don't think I've heard anyone link that uh, monitor panel to the inspectorate role. It's very much a ministerial role. Mm. So that's an interesting difference. Yeah, and we forget sometimes that the ministerial role is also administrative, but it's often an interesting question about where things should sit, you know, in the, you know, in the administrative or the political realm, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tougher penalties in this package of reform for councillors who are found guilty of serious breaches of the Act, and any councillor that is suspended three times would face a 10-year ban from holding the office of councillor. So that's pretty significant. Significant and, I suppose, interesting and useful. I'll still posit the view, Chris, that um, um, in a lot of cases the penalties won't matter or won't make a great deal of difference because people... Um, don't see that they're in a, in that space until it's too late. So, yeah, the tougher penalties are terrific, but we need to help people to do the right thing. One thing I uh, am constantly reminded of, Steve, as I monitor what goes on around the country in local government is everyone is dealing with this issue of culture and dysfunction mm. uh, from, a, from a minority of people at elected levels in particular that uh, bring councils into disrepute. The, the issue in Tasmania is still going on at Waratah Wynyard, yes. where the councillor there, Darren Fairbrother, has not stood aside. Um, the minister's under pressure from the council, from others, to, to step in and act, and is playing a very straight bat, uh, while code of conduct complaints are dealt with. 
um, it, it's a, it's getting a bit farcical, to be honest. Yeah, and I'd have to say, Chris, it seems from here to be a bit of a sideshow that, you know, if the Tasmanian Parliament had meant for someone in that situation to lose their role as a councillor, they would have legislated accordingly. They haven't. Um, you know, can we all move on? In, in, in the meantime, they're conducting a wide-ranging review of the sector, and I'm sure these sorts of incidents will Absolutely. help. Absolutely. You know, the, the legislation's never perfect, but, you know, we work with what we've got, and if there are shortcomings, we deal with it. I personally don't think... Look, it's not ideal. What the councillor was um, found guilty of was more than a bit unsavoury. Mm. Um, the world's not going to stop turning now if he stays on the council. So, I, as I said, I kind of think... Fair enough. Move on. All right. Okay. Um, let's move on. Uh, Inner West in Sydney, uh, for those who are following that, uh, they put the idea of a de-amalgamation to the voters at the election last year and received a strong, I think it was about 65% uh, support Yeah, for, for de-amalgamation. So the, that council is now developing a business case which has gone out for public consultation. And that business case would ultimately go to the Minister for Local Government in New South Wales, and it's the government's call on whether to to act on a de-amalgamation. So for those who don't recall, Ashfield, Leichhardt and Marrickville councils were brought together to form Inner West back in 2016. But enough people are saying we want to go back to the way it was for this to be a very seriously considered uh, option. Really uh, interesting one, Chris. And, you know, it, it rears its head from time to time in Victoria as well. You know, there is a community in Hume on Phillip Island. Um, Mansfield was successful in de-amalgamating. You would have to imagine that with the change of roles, the change in government, that um, it's very di- it would be very difficult for a de-amalgamated council to have the resources to continue. So, you know, watch this space as the reports um, flow from this. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I've just been reminded of a late-breaking story that I'll come to in just a moment, Steve. I just wanted to comment on uh, one more out of interstate, and that is up in Queensland at Ipswich. There's been a backflip on a backflip. If you've been following this, uh, last year the Ipswich Council decided to remove the name of a former mayor who's currently in in jail for a a number of different offences. Paul Pasali's his name to remove the Pasali name from a road and a bridge. The council then duly removed the signs from those uh, assets. Last week, uh, a councillor brought forward a motion to restore those names and got the the vote. There's been a huge outcry uh, from the community, the local community and beyond. My understanding is a special meeting's been called for next week on Tuesday, I think, and at least one councillor has changed their view and it looks like they're going to backflip on the backflip. So I presume there's a governance nicety that some of us get a bit excited about, Chris, that the motion to uh, restore the name wasn't a rescission of the previous name. It was just a, a, a motion to change the name to what it happened to be before. Yes. But the meeting next week is a rescission of that motion, either of which still undermines um, the public confidence in decision-making and... Um, I think you and I have talked before about the fact that a council that habitually um, puts out signals that it is prepared to change its mind is sending a signal to the community that you maybe should shout at us because we don't actually mean it when we vote on something. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yes, it sends the wrong message, doesn't it? Yeah, so do the research, get it right at the front end, allow the community to have confidence in your decisions might be a good thing. 
Exactly. Get it right mm. the first time. Uh, the breaking news I was talking about, Steve, uh, came out a couple of days ago now from the inspectorate in Victoria where a former Benalla councillor, the release actually says Benalla Shire. I'm not sure that's right because uh, this is about uh, William Van Wersch, who unsuccessfully stood for re-election in 2020 after one term. So that would be Benalla Rural City Council. I believe so. Um, yeah. Um, pleaded guilty to six charges related to personal interest return non-disclosures, was fined $5,000 without conviction and ordered to pay legal costs of $3,500. So here's an example of where the inspectorate is taking those personal interest return responsibilities extremely seriously. No surprises there. Michael Stepanovic had been very clear um, of the significance and the importance of those returns. I believe in this case, Chris, there are a couple of returns not submitted yeah. and interests that were omitted from submitted returns as well. So, you know, and the court probably got it right, um, you know, in terms of the significance of the penalty and just falling short of conviction. So uh, sends, a, sends a strong signal though. The inspectorate laid 18 charges against Mr. Van Wersch related to non-disclosures, failed to disclose a number of personal interests in five of his ordinary terms, which included companies in which he held office or a beneficial interest, as well as land interests and trust interests. Those charges were reduced after the defendant's offer of a guilty plea on six rolled up charges. Um, interesting side note here, the inspectorate um, identified these issues as part of a project that it started in mid-2020 to examine 4,600 personal interest returns mm. from 650 councillors at 78 councils looking for compliance with the requirements of the Act, and that led to these charges being laid. I'm thinking, Chris. Yes, what are you thinking, Steve? I'm thinking this might not be the only one. Time will tell. Yes. All right. Thank you, Steve. Anything else from you this week? Um, no, I think we've um, we've covered a bit of territory. So thank you for that. We certainly have. Thank you for your insights, as always. Love that list of uh, what is what do we call it? A scale of seriousness of ministerial comment. <laughs> ministerial scale of seriousness. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, you can't have that because that's an MSS. You know, people will be confused. It's going to have to be a scale, of, a scale ministerial. of ministerial seriousness. There you go. Yes, That's an essay. can't have that either. Help. <laughs> Folks, what's a good name for this scale of ministerials? Well, this will, this will actually test who listens through to the end, Chris, won't it? Yes. Uh, yes, it will. Uh, very good. All right. Thank you, Steve. We, we might wrap it up there. I think, I think we've jumped the shark for this week. Uh, I, I just do want to thank Tony Rannick and the team at Hunt and Hunt Lawyers for sticking with us as sponsors. Is Tony back from WA yet? Do you know? He made it back safely. Oh, good to hear. We need to catch up because he's got some interesting observations of local government in, in the West, I think. He sure does. We'll see what normalcy in local government looks like, Chris. Let's go. Thanks, Steve. Have a good week. Cheers, you too. Steve Cooper at the VLGA there, and that's VLGA Connect Governance Update for another week. Thank you for watching and listening, and we'll see you again soon. Hang on. Don't go anywhere. We're back. You thought we'd finished. We thought we'd finished, but there's been some late-breaking developments this morning, Steve, so we're doing... A governance update addendum. Chris, I am devastated. The spirit of former Minister Lean is just haunting us. And we spotted, as soon as we got off recording, a couple of really significant announcements that we just couldn't let go. So tell me about the wonderful Jesse Holmes. Well, um, 
listeners will recall, and a lot of people know Jessie, that uh, she went off from uh, the role of CEO at Yarriambiac to work for the Victorian Skills Authority. And as soon as I opened my LinkedIn after we got off recording, I see a post from the wonderful Jessie Holmes, as she's known, to say that it's been a whirlwind six months, but she's realised her heart belongs in local government. I could have told her that. Seriously, I seriously could have told her that. Um, so, I think she actually said to me, Steve, when she, she departed Yari Ambiak, that she'd be back at some point in local government, but I'm not sure we thought it would be that quick. And and Jessie is very grateful to the Victorian Skills Authority and her leadership there, but says her heart belongs in local government. So she's jumping back in, kicking off with an interim director role at Hindmarsh Shire Council, uh, working with CEO Greg Wood. Good get for Hindmarsh. Congratulations, Jesse. It's great to have you back in the local government fold. Uh, good get? Is that a very good get or a great get, Chris? No, it's a great get. No, no, no. It's, it's, a, it's the top. On the, on the scale of gets, it's at the top. Absolutely. <laughs> no, congratulations to Jesse. That's fabulous news for her and for the sector. Um, and and the other bit of news out. is to do with the upcoming state government election and pre-selections. We've talked about Upper House Liberal Party pre-selections. What have we got now? Labor Party pre-selections? Yeah, so uh, Richard Willingham from the ABC just tweeted, while we were recording, Chris, not that I'm bitter and twisted, no. that <laughs> the uh, Labor Party pre-selections for those seats where the ministers had announced their retirements um, had been announced, including the southeast, I call it the southeast metro region. Mm-hmm. Southeast Metro Region and uh, Mayor of Kingston, Steve Stakos, is one of the nominees. Ah, okay. Any other local government people on that list that we're aware of? Uh, none that are familiar to me, Chris, but um, there'll be more to follow and I'd be uh, very surprised um, in terms of, uh, well, the Liberals have been announced, but in terms of Labor and some of the minor parties, if councillors don't pop up. All right. Now, just before we finish for the second time, I'm just checking the media setter to make sure that the minister hasn't announced anything this morning as yet. And the answer is no. So I think we're safe to, to finish off take two. I'll text the minister's office now and let them know that it's OK to do that. All right. Thanks, Steve. Uh, and to you, the listener and viewer, as you were. Cheers, Chris.